From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. everybody to another edition of are you not entertained here to entertain you and answer that question for you my two partners in crime giles morgan and roger mitchell gentlemen giles how are you i'm very good grant how very very lovely to hear your voice at a boy it's like a comfort to me it's like a comfort to me it's the weeks go past without you and i get a a longing and then here we are it's just well you know what i'll tell you what giles let's let's take this offline and we'll bring roger in we'll save this this conversation for later on roger how are you mate get a room i'm I'm fine (laughs) i'm absolutely fine um the we've still got some decent sun here uh so everything's quite nice on the lake nice and tranquil quite quite nice now you fine f-a-y-n-e fine or (laughs) f-i-n-e how how are you spelling fine whatever whatever Uh, these days of course um italy uh, has changed completely its profile in the globe and with the g20 and everything like that there was a time when uh, Berlusconi ran things and the rest of the world kind of like laughed at him when there was Blair and Clinton and Merkel and Sarkozy now um, Draghi looks as if he's Mr. Sensible compared to Boris and and, and Biden and every, all these other people it's a funny time the world's upside down I am um, I've got to share with you guys I am um, I've just been in Rome for a, for a couple of days and I did think of the show as I was doing the tourist thing at the Colosseum and I did did I did ask a few tourists are you not entertained and they did look at me quizzically but at least I felt I went to our spiritual home so that was nice wonderful totally good totally good it's good to see you both getting oot and a boot over yes, there in yes uh, indeed in Europe, I'm looking forward to coming to Europe myself in a in a few weeks' time, which would well, be we're nice. We're meeting up, aren't we? We're meeting we up. Are. All, all, all we organized. are meeting up on the seventh of December. Our our yeah. DMs are full of people that are wanting to know where the meat is, where the drinks are. Um, I'm just pointing them Giles's way. We'll point them my way, but as long as they buy their round, it'll be oh, fine. That's, they that's can for come sure. for as long as they like. Yeah. <laughs> I, listen, uh, you, you would think that people would know, if you're arranging kind of a drink with a Scotsman and a pirate captain, you better be able to put your hand in your pocket when you show up, that's for sure. Good grief. <laughs> I've only got a hook. What are you talking about? <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, listen, chaps, we have a guest joining us today, uh, a very important guest, one we've all been looking forward to for quite some time now. So, um, Rog, why don't you let the lucky listeners know who we are going to be chatting with shortly? Yes, uh, we are about to chat with Bohan, who is the founder and chief executive of Buzzer, which uh, a little bit is the darling of the the new media entertainment. What do you otherwise call it? A platform and an application or an OTT delivery mechanism. Buzzer is one of the things that I think is is most talked about, and for good reason. It's it's changing. I think a lot of the the ways that all of us are going to consume sport, especially, especially, and, and this is why it's so keen, I'm so keen to get him on, is for Gen Z. It's based around the idea that uh, the younger audiences want to get right to the juice of sport and have little desire to subscribe to channels and to games even where, you know, for uh, 80% of the time, maybe it's nothing much is happening especially in low-scoring games like soccer. So Buzzer has developed a mobile-first notification system, which basically tells you when the good stuff's going to happen. And they, I believe, are going to revolutionise quite a lot around the world of sport, the value of rights, and perhaps even formats, because my belief, uh, gentlemen, is that when tech allows you to focus on what I always call the hits, the obvious question is what happens to the filler. And so Bo's going to come on. He, he's got a, a really interesting background, basically going all in on this startup buzzer. He had a really senior role at, at, at Twitter in terms of a rights acquisition, a senior global role. So nobody can say that he's done this uh, because he didn't have anything else to do. This is somebody right at the centre of the sports ecosystem talking about everything that we always like to, I would say, argue about, you know, 
are these younger audiences a little bit of a fool's gold? You chase them, they're transient, they make you change things. And then before you know it, they've moved on to something else and you've kind of like sold your soul. You know, that's not my view, but I wanted to get Bo on because I think he'll speak about it very, very openly. Well, that's great. We've got two minutes left, so we should probably we should probably get him in, yeah? Perfect. Bohan, welcome to Are You Not Entertained? Thank you so much for finding time and I know what's been a really hectic week for you. Thanks so much. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, gentlemen, for having me. I, I was always looking forward to this. Um, I know it's been a, a few weeks in the making, but I'm glad I'm here. Great stuff. Well, uh, we, we, are, we are together with myself, Giles and Grant. And, and as always, I guess we want to start off, Bo, by we've got a belief that, um, yeah, we want to understand everything from the sports business point of view and the amazing people that we have on the show. But we think the best way for the audience to understand all of these things is, is to get an idea of the, the, the passion for sport that the guests have. And, you know, in many ways, people say, tell me what sport you love, tell me what teams uh, you're behind and tell me your heroes. And you get a real understanding of the man or the woman. So, um, I know from uh, your background that, that, that you came to the, the States as a very young boy. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about, you know, doing that. Obviously, as a kid, you get introduced to sports and, and, and how that started your journey. Yeah. Um, so I, I had the quintessential immigrant story. Um, I was born in Seoul, Korea, came to the States uh, when I was three years old uh, in 1988. My Parents were grad school students at Vanderbilt University, hence Nashville, Tennessee, uh, a very random place for a Korean family to immigrate to in the 80s. Um, But I was three. My sister was one. Uh, My parents brought nine bags and a few hundred bucks and just made it work. Right. And so um, it's it's really crazy to just kind of think back at um, just my parents' audacity and the boldness that they had. Um, uh, but yeah, my, my love of sport was very early, um, simply because it took a little bit for me to adopt the English language. English was my second language. And so um, for me, when I, when I started to go to school in kindergarten, um, it was always just the love of sport and how that was the common language. And um, I love how sport unifies uh, sport, sport is the ultimate community, uh, product. Right. And so, um, I'll explain uh, more about that community aspect, but, you know, Nashville didn't have the, the pro, uh, teams that uh, they do now, right. The predators right. Uh, play there, uh, the Titans play there. So, um, you know, we were a little bit nomadic in terms of, uh, you know, rooting for a team, but, I will say that my first experience with live sports was a minor league baseball game in, I think, 1994 or five, where I saw Michael Jordan play. Uh, he was playing for the Birmingham. So you saw him play for the Barons. You yeah, saw him play for the Birmingham for, Barons. Yeah, he was playing for the uh, uh, Birmingham Barons. And uh, back then, uh, the AAA team was Nashville Express, now uh, the Nashville Sounds. And so I remember my first live encounter with Michael Jordan was not basketball. It was minor league baseball. Wow. And just to see my friend, he just captured the entire town. And to fast forward a little bit, uh, when I, when I was 12, uh, I moved to Chicago. And so um, that's where I got to, you know, really uh, enjoy and and and, and uh, dive into, uh, you know, the Bulls um, just dynasty. But um, you know, we'll dive into it a little bit more. But you know, Michael Jordan, uh, you know, invested in our Series A. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> the circle of life, Bull. The circle of life. Bo, yeah. before we go on to that, I'm intrigued yeah. as well. As you came over from Seoul, your parents obviously were from Korea. How much influence did they have in terms of, I mean, you saw Michael Jordan play, <laughs> play baseball. Yeah. Of course he did. And then, and then move on. But were you at all um, inspired? Did your parents give you any other sports from, from their homeland that you were also inculcated with, or was it very much straight into the American mainstream? No soccer, you know, but here's the thing representation in 
sports, you know, especially for Koreans or Asian Americans have been a recent phenomenon. Right. Um, And I know it is blasphemy for uh, any English Premier League fan, but I grew up as a Man U fan and now I'm a Tottenham Hotspurs fan. Right. Because I grew up watching Chisung Park and so and now some. And so um, where you win my heart is you you hire a Korean soccer player and I will root for you. I will buy your kit. Right? Yeah, and so yeah. You, you get a special um, exemption for that, Bob. It's, yeah. You get a special exemption for that. It's, it's perfectly Thank fine. Thank you. Was, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's better than you know, son joining you know Man City, right? And and you know, me flipping a my um, red kit from a, you know a light blue kit. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's all about seeing my likeness, you know, on the other side, right? And and yeah. that is why um, someone like Kyler Murray who was the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals, uh, Shohei Otani, right? Yep. Um, growing up, Heinz Ward from the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, he was half Korean, right? And so for me, you know, it's always been about, um, you know, my likeness. And um, it's funny because when the U.S. always plays South Korean soccer, you know, you got to go, you know, I'm, I'm American now, but you got to go with your blood, right? And so your <laughs> heritage, right? And so... For sure. Um, I will always root against the U.S. when it comes to, um, you know, Korea and the U.S. playing soccer. But, um, but yeah, I mean, my uh, interest and in range really revolved around identity uh, because that was something that I was constantly searching um, throughout my childhood, um, especially when you grow up, grow up somewhere where not a lot of people look like you. Let me ask you what impact the 2002 World Cup had on you you know because obviously i guess working the numbers backwards you probably would have been about 16 give or take perfect yeah. age for this whole thing and obviously the the run that south korea had to the semi-finals was i mean truly extraordinary for any football fan around the world we were all rooting for korea at that well, point well in time. hang on a minute that game against Italy, <laughs> that game against Italy still goes down and never you mind that, that never you mind never hey, you, you mind know, that you know what uh uh, his name is Anjohan, who hit the golden goal, right? And uh, he actually got released from his Serie A team, yes. you know. Uh, yeah, that's year, right. That's you know, right. The following year. Um, but, you know, that's where obviously Jisung Park broke out. And I still remember the Portugal game, the Spain game, and the Italy game, right? Wow. And it, Don't it, remind it was, me. Oh, man, it was quite he, a he, he, for that goal, For that goal, he out-jumped Paolo Maldini yeah. for that goal. Yeah, it's, which, it's just which, you couldn't which make is it insane up. because he is. I think he's five nine. <laughs> you know, it's like one hundred and seventy right. meters. So he's he's a pretty small guy. But the fact that he did that is, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, I'm twenty years older. Uh, you know, from that time, and yeah, it still just is deeply ingrained in my mind. And even just like you know, this past recent uh, World Cup where they did not qualify, but they beat Germany. You know, and um, I tweeted out, um, I tweeted out saying, hey, um, Mexican nationals who live in L.A. go to Koreatown and and, and buy out the restaurants because uh, thanks to the Koreans, you guys are through in the 16. Right. And so you see all these videos of uh, Mexican nationals like tossing like Korean guys in the air, whoever they like (laughs) meet on the street. It it was it was quite a scene. But that, you know, it's it's just a wonderful reminder that sport brings people together, right? It is a unifier. And Bo, do you have that same fandom of Korean golf, therefore, as well, because of the great performances of Korean, both men and women's golfers over the last 20 years? particularly women's golf, or, you know, I I call it the Sari Pack effect, right? And so, um, for those who remember, in the, you know, I think 90s and early 2000s, Sari Pack was kind of the pioneer and really started the golf program, you know, accelerated the golf program, in Korea. And so um, it's, again, it's likeness, you know, and last week um, I went to the University of uh, Michigan Sports Business Conference. It is a wonderful sports business conference that is purely organized uh, and and run by the students. And um, one of the things that I did say in that, you know, that conference is about relatability, you know, is that uh, when someone sees their likeness, you know, they, you have this like encouragement of, uh, of if that person can do it, I can do it. Bo looks like me. If Bo can do it, I can do it. Right. And so I think relatability is really important for me. And I think that's where humility and approachability is really important because 
that's where impact comes from. That's where people find hope and promise and potential saying, oh, okay, Bo figured this out, you know, it, it, you know, in his uh, early true. years. And, and I think that's, it, it's just a very small, but very tangible thing. And I've had so many of Asian American college students after the conference come up to me and say, I'm proud that you're Korean. I'm proud that you're oh, wow. Asian. You know, and that's amazing. Um, I think all of us should strive to live that way, right? Is that, you know, if you can give promise to the next generation, you know, how wonderful is that? Yeah. Yeah. Let me continue on this a little bit because I think we like to do this on this podcast, but we like the human as much as the business. Um, you you are what we would call in Scotland the son of the man's, mm-hmm. and the man's being the 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 the, the church home. You're the mm-hmm. son of a pastor. Um, one of the the reasons I've had my eye on you for a while is because you know I think even in these first ten minutes, people have, have an idea of the kind of values that you've got. Uh, how much did your dad let you understand what you had to do and how you needed to behave in a new country? And and as you got older in an industry sport, which let's be very honest, sometimes can be quite nasty and jealous mm-hmm. and um, a bit sharp. What was the role of your father in, and maybe still is in terms of how you conduct yourself? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. You know, it, it reminds me of an interview or a story that my dad told me about an interview. Actually, my mom told this story about he interviewed for a church, uh, for a job at a church. And the, you know, the format was uh, give a sermon and then it's an open mic where the congregation comes up to a mic and asks a question. And a woman went up to the mic after a great sermon and said, I really enjoyed your sermon, uh, but I have a personal question to ask. He's like, absolutely. Uh, Do you have a son? He goes, yes, I do. His name is Bo and he is six years old. He's like, she's like, if you're, if you had a church obligation or your son's little league game, which one would you go to and why? You know? (laughs) And my dad said, it's simple. I'll go to my son's little league game. And people were probably thinking in their heads, Man, I really enjoyed that message, but that's the wrong answer. And he goes, let me explain why. It's because if I can't minister to my own son, how can I minister to you, my extended family? Oh, and, wow. and, I, and I think that is very true about all things in life, you know, and we've come, you know, through this, I mean, we're still in this global pandemic and, you know, buzzer, uh, you know, the life cycle buzzer is 20 months and, you know, we started buzzer in January, 2020, when it was, um, a global health crisis, uh, during a social right, racial reckoning in this country and everything shut down. Right. And it allowed us to really build the company and culture from a very value centric and mission led way. And one of the things that I was very intentional about with my team very early on is that the convergence of work and home essentially just combined, right? Because we were all at home and we were working at a home, right? And so I think that the quality of our lives at work really determined the quality of life at home because there was no separation anymore, right? And so one of the things I was very intentional about with my teammates were, listen, your foremost priority is being a good partner or teammate to your partner or your wife or husband, boyfriend or girlfriend. Right. Uh, Because if you're a bad partner or teammate to them, you're eventually going to be a bad teammate to me. Right. And so um, I I do really kind of believe in that. And I I know the stereotype of pastor's kids. They're either really, really good or really, really bad. And I'm like, I think I'm really in the middle, you know, and and I think that is due to one. I I was it was very uh, early. I, I was taught very early that faith was a personal decision. It's my own per, uh, personal relationship with God. And then second is this whole notion around concentric circles. I have to be a good person. I have to be a good person to my wife and partner. And then only that can I be a good you know, uh, teammate to all of my buzzer teammates, right? And partner to my other buzzer teammates. And so um, I, I try to um, really improve on myself first because how am I going to improve others if I can't even improve myself? Lovely. 
Bo, let me ask you something. I mean, that, that philosophy is, is, is astonishing, and, and you'll be getting my resume very shortly. That's the sort of company I'd work for in a, in a drop of a hat. But in all seriousness, you're a sports lover. You've shared that with us. Mm-hmm. You come from very strong family background. In your own playing of sport or your own supporting or being a fan of sport, how much did the traditional values of sport, whether it be team sport or, what, or golf or whatever it may be, uh, affect you in that kind of philosophy that you now espouse? Because one of the great benefits that people will always talk about sport is the value it has to human beings or mm-hmm. can do in terms of building up um, strength. And I just wonder, has sport been an inspiration for you as well as you've kind of developed your own sense of purpose? Absolutely. I mean, and we can like have multiple examples of how sport inspires human excellence just by showing possibility. Well, we talked about relatability, right? Of showing others that if you can do it, others can do it. Right. And I mean, I'll throw a UK example, Roger Bannister, you know, the four minute mile. How amazing is that? Right. That he runs before that no one could run the four minute mile. He runs it. And then the year after that, everybody, Everyone is running the four yeah. minute mile, but that is just a that is just a case in point of what sport does to the human spirit, right? And I, you know, this past Sunday was the New York City and LA Marathon. I love marathons. I've run four, not because I'm a good runner, but I find it to be a really good exercise, mental exercise, because before your body quits, your mind quits, right? And it's a good exercise, but. The thing that I really love about marathons is that you see the city come together and these are strangers cheering on other strangers. And I tweeted this yesterday or Sunday. And it's like, the reason why I love marathon Sundays so much is that what if we were to live every day that way, where we were to encourage and cheer for strangers, no matter who they are, no matter who they love, no matter what they believe in, because the, the, the communication is you're running a marathon. I am not. And you're doing an amazing job, like hats off to you. Right. And, and so that's, these are the qualities that I love about sport. You know, sport is the ultimate equalizer, right? Um, all the social movements come from the pitch or the field or the court, right? It, it is such a powerful platform. And so I, I do think that buzzer as a technology pa- platform needs to highlight those aspects and those qualities um and we can talk a little bit more about the product itself but all buzzer, yeah but all buzzer is is that we're utilizing data to identify moments to bring people together live right and, and so if we do not embody that community aspect that unity aspect that equalizer aspect then we're doing everything wrong i don't care how good the product is it will ring hollow in the market especially to our consumers. And so that's why community is very important for us. Well, let, let me ask you, because you spent some time in the hierarchy at Twitter and you, and you watched that platform grow. And for me, it's the only social media platform I use. I think it's a, a phenomenal resource. I, st- I, I still agree. can't believe it's free. Don't let anybody ever st- to get that to Jack because that would be a nightmare if he starts charging for it. But um, you know, social media had this moment like sport in the broad context of sport, it says sport has the ability to unify and divide. You know, you, you, you unify people over their love of football, you divide them down the lines of Manchester into blue and red. You, you, know, you, you can bring people all over the world together, but you can separate countries if a refereeing decision goes the wrong way against your mm-hmm. team, like Roger was kind of joking about the Korea-Italy game. But, you know, social media has had this moment in its infancy where it brought the world together, and mm-hmm. what we're seeing now in many instances is the ability that it has to actually drive the world apart. Mm-hmm. And, and you must have seen that, uh, seen that happen. I, I wonder what your take is on that and how sport, not necessarily Buzzer in particular, because we'll come onto that for sure, but how sport can avoid the pitfalls that general social media have had in, in, in a very, what is, let's face it, a very divisive time in society of driving that kind of schism in between different groups. Yeah. You know, back in 2012, when I first joined Twitter, right, um, I joined Twitter because I saw that platform's power in really democratizing access to information, right, where um, even look at the impact that it's had in news, right? And Amazing. Yeah, and right before, and anyone with a smartphone, you know, could get out there and report. Uh, Other, you know, before that, you know, we used to just get it from select outlets, you know, yeah, and yeah. the access information is really kind of freed up. But 
Twitter, when I first joined Twitter, I saw Twitter's active role in um, the Arab Spring, um, yep. you know, Ferguson. And so yep. I kind of joined it. And, and you know what? I, I see that exact same uh, behavior at Buzzer right now is that people believe in the power and the mission of Buzzer. And you're, we're, we're seeing very similar individuals that I've seen in 2012 join our company today at Buzzer. But in, in terms of, in terms of you know the ability for social platforms to divide, we have to take a step back where a lot of things have just been unnecessarily politicized, right? Yeah, totally, you know, it, totally agree. Where, where we should really kind of take a step back and, and, and just think what's right and wrong, right? Like let's, let's take Black Lives Matter, for example. Why is that a political statement? That is a simple declaration of someone's humanity. Can we just agree on that, right? Why is there other counters to that statement? It's other than yes, they matter, <laughs> you know? Why does that be used to discount others when that's not part of the discussion itself, right? And so for me, like my personal compass is, you know, my faith is, I, 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 I'm very front and center. If you're looking at my LinkedIn or my Twitter, you know, my bio says follow Christ because I've been very, disappointed in religion, you know, and religion, you know, has so much baggage, but for me, it's to live in love like Christ. Right. And, um, and, and, and when you're reading, I'm like, are, are the current Christians, conservative Christians, especially I'm like, are you reading the same Bible as I am? You know what <laughs> I mean? Because if you read the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are the meek or blessed are the persecuted is, are the replies? Well, what about people who are not, or do that, do they not matter? And I'm like, no, they're like, the focus here is blessed are the persecuted. Right. And so I, I do think that all of us just needs to take a step back and really meet each other through each other's humanity. The thing I love about sports is that human achievement is human achievement. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, from the Berlin Olympics, right. To, you know, and Jesse Owens, right. It's like, there's no denying of, human excellence through, um, you know, performance, right? And so for me, that's why I think there is a powerful platform. That's why I think that Gen Z have been moving away from a sport and team centric fandom to a player centric fandom, because yes. it's not only what they do on court and the excellence that they exhibit, but they also have to exhibit excellence off the court. What are they doing with their platform and their influence? And I think that, the, you know, we really underestimate the next generation, but they are so much more value-minded. They have much more conviction That's for right. products or services that they use because it's, it's all about what do they represent, what do you believe in, and what do you believe in, what is your mission? Bo, so, so like, I think everybody's got, got a good idea of your, your drive and, and your beliefs, but let's put that into practical form. You were at a superb, excellent job at Twitter. And you decided to go all in on Buzzer. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you cashed in your 401k and it doesn't get more all in than that. And you were kind of like one of those guys that you see outside the conferences that haven't got the ticket and are kind of like hanging around the, out the outside. What was that like in your mindset going from like one of the guys everybody wanted to get to, to being somebody you were trying to hustle a meeting with? Tell us a little bit about that moment, which didn't last very long because Buzzer is now what it is. But tell us, you know, there must have been a few dark moments. Yeah, my parents call call that a beautiful struggle when you look back at it, right? Because uh, when you when you ride it out and you have and you keep the faith, when you look back at it, saying that struggle was a beautiful thing for me. That was crucial for my growth. That was crucial for my humility. And what keeps me humble every day is that in one instance, this could all be gone. I know that. And that what's, that's what keeps me um, on my toes. That's what keeps me driven, but also that's what keeps me humble. Right. And, and so I, I think that, you know, when, when I left Twitter in April, 2019, I had this conviction of, I had a front row seat of this phenomenon where when exciting moments are happening live on Twitter, they're trending. And I'm like, man, like, why aren't we jumping on this trend you know, in real time to monetize it, right? Because, you know, for all of you, if you're watching the game, great. That's a great second screen experience. But if not, then you have this overwhelming sense of panic or FOMO of like, 
Where's the nearest TV or sports bar? What channel is it on? What subscription is it part of? By the time you figure all that out, it's over, right? And so, you know, how do we kind of become that last mile technology for connecting fans with these live and ephemeral moments in sports, right? And, and so that was just kind of the one conviction I had is if I can just be that one link of that last mile, you know, then, you know, we can really kind of unify and connect this entire ecosystem. And so, um, you know, as Roger said, I left in April, 2019, I spent a few, I thought I was going to spend the rest of the week or year off. Um, I took, I think two or three weeks off. And then I started prototyping the product. And to your point, Roger, I was at Sportel in Monaco in that October, and I had a video demo and I was essentially showing anyone with eyes, the video demo, you know, I was doing yeah. what you call uh, what you just described. It's, apparently there's a word for that called uh, shadow conferencing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I did, you know, yeah. in the lobby and coffee shops. And, and Bo, did you find that, I mean, Roger asked the question and I'm, I'm intrigued by it partly because my own, my own experience actually having worked for a multinational, when you've been at sport, at Twitter, where everybody wants you. And then here you are with a brilliant idea, as you've articulated, and what the need is. Did you find or have you found that the sports industry, you know, for all of the talk of the values of sport, many say that the sports industry, a lot of the people at the, at the very top of many sports don't share that humility. They get they get very fond of the blazer. They get very mm. fond of the entitlement. They get very fond of the first-class air travel for them and their family to go to matches. They they enjoy being in the hospitality box, not so much in the bleachers. I, I wonder if that was a, with the humility that you talk about, was that a shock to your system for a bit? Has it been? Yeah, you know, I, I wrote an op-ed um, for SBJ uh, a few months mm. ago. And the way that I wanted to appeal to you know, humble or not humble executives is in a very personal way of your love for sport is not going to be carried down through your generations unless we change, right? Because, you know, you have this entire generation that has been completely disengaged with live. And we can all agree that that is the magic of sport. It's live, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you can't tell me that watching a clip and highlight of a penalty kick or a no hitter or the, the buzzer beater that Luca just shot last Saturday. Yeah, you saw know, that. You, yeah. yeah wow. Like live. Like you, you can't tell me that that is the exact same emotion and experience and magic as a highlighter clip that is so readily available on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. And I think that it, it's going to be a shame if we don't do anything about it. Right. And I think that for me personally, the humility aspect is very important because I'm not here to tell people they're wrong. They can, you know, they, they can decide for themselves, right? What I am trying to earnestly appeal to all of our partners in the ecosystem, whether you be a league or network or SPOD or OTT, is that how do we make the ecosystem better, right? And right now, you have networks only optimizing for content that they have. And of course they should do that because they spent billions of dollars acquiring those rights. But at the same time, are we not serving the sp same sports fan, right? And I think that we should all collectively work on how do we make more live games accessible generationally, right? And so I think the humility approach has been just personally very important for me because that is the only way that people will listen, right? This would be humbly come. So in a sense, was there a bit of fear creeping in as you came through this idea that a generation was losing live sport, that something that was so beloved to us who are older than the young, who understood live sports and it was part of our childhood, was there a concern that you had that maybe sport was losing its way? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, here, and here's the thing, though, is that maybe um, executives you know, who are in the tail end of their careers, they, they, they won't see the consequences of today's decisions. Maybe they might not be with the company, right? But we all were, are going to be. We have also, we're, we also have children in the next generation that we want them to also play the sports and, and, and have the same passion as we do, right? I, I think that there is, and, and to be honest, like you see Mookie Betts going from the Red Sox to the uh, Dodgers. 
You know, so the type of fandom has changed too, where can you imagine a, a generation of like Red Sox um, uh, fans seeing all of a sudden Dodger jerseys because Mookie Betts went over, right? And so it's a different type of fandom, but the generation, uh, generational gap is a real problem. And I think everyone should be concerned. Yep. Well, let, let me ask you about the uh, red zone, the NFL red zone, because that when that was launched, um, you know, the first I heard about it, I was I was in the US visiting a friend out in, in Napa, and uh, it was Sunday afternoon. He said, "Dude, we're watching the red zone. It's the greatest thing ever." Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a first clue what it was. I sat down, and within ten minutes, I said, "This is the greatest thing ever." Mm-hmm. Just getting the timelines right, because that that obviously that was just limited to the NFL, but that really that and my conversations with Roger were what really opened my eyes to the possibility of exactly what you're now developing. Was it was it a race once the red zone came out or were you just kind of drafting it in a slipstream or just get, let me get the timeline straight around that? Yeah, I think the red zone, there's a few components that made red zone successful. The, the foremost, I mean, one is the NFL. <laughs> yeah, know, right. And I think NFL is an album, right? And um, but second is they had a NFL has a very strong fantasy product, right? And so there yeah, is a very yeah, specific point. point of interest, right? Um, but and you know, but red zone is still a four hour format, right? It, oh yeah, no, absolutely form, right, right? And so yes, you know, red zone did inspire me to create a product that is aggregating multiple games or multiple live rights. Right. But what is also important is how do we create a mobile first experience where Gen Z yep. and younger millennials live? And how do we focus on short form live format? Because, you know, Gen Z and younger millennials, as you know, great red zone is, they're going to have and also it's a subscription product. Right. So they are going to not as much adopt to that product as a you know, mobile first short form live notification driven product that allows them when to come in and why it's interesting to them, right? And, and Yeah, so, that, that's why um, I think what you're doing is genius because you, you took that you. great product and you and you understood what it was missing, which is exactly what you've identified. I mean, it's thank just, you. it is, it's genius. But, Bo, let me, let me, let me ask you something. I, I used to run um, a, a rights holder and I think most people listening to this will know what Buzzer is now and uh, but I want to ask you a little bit more detail. So I'm sitting at the rights holder and I love what you're doing. Or one day I don't even know you and you come to me and you say, I'd like to do a partnership. And my first thought is, I'd love to do a partnership with Buzzer, but for goodness sake, I've sold my rights. Mm. Uh, I did a deal that doesn't allow that space. So how are you getting around that now? Because sport is full of multi-year long-term contracts where most of these broadcasters have been very cute about not letting you have leakage out there around the outside. What's the reality there? Yeah, the reality is that, you know, especially for the US, there is a direct consumer product that is available uh, that is from the league, right? And so NBA has NBA League Pass. Uh, NFL has Sunday game ticket. I mean, and also the mobile rights that are still available. If you have the NFL app on your phone, you can watch every single NFL game for free, right? The Sunday afternoon local game, Sunday night football, Monday night football, Thursday night football playoffs, including the Super Bowl. Um, NHL was NHL TV. Granted, now it's moved over to ESPN, right? MLB TV is also a standalone product, right? Uh, you have tennis TV, which is the ATV. Uh, direct consumer. So that is the first order of business is yeah. how do we uh, work with the leagues directly? Because as you said, these deal cycles move. And sometimes, you know, if you formulate a very deep relationship with one network, those rights might move over to another, right? And so it's always important to have a very direct relationship. Our appeal to these direct leagues have been twofold. One is how do we create an incremental audience opportunity and especially a younger audience, right? And so um, this past year, you know, in January, we're in beta and in, in May, uh, we rolled into early access, which is we're just rolling in users on a rolling basis. And then three weeks ago, aligning with the comeback of uh, the NBA season on October 16th, we uh, launched the full-fledged public product itself. But the earlier learnings that we've had is, you know, specifically with the NHL, which is now on ESPN+, is that 72% of our audience who bought NHL moments were 18 to 28 years old. 
That is very powerful when your average demo that watches NHL on television is 49. So what does that tell yeah. you? We're Grant, looking Grant at, never believes me. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're looking at very different, you know, uh, demographics, right? And, and second is we're, we're, we're not a subscription-based platform, so we're not actively cannibalizing subscription revenue because this is revenue that you wouldn't have gotten in the first place. Plus, yeah. Gen Z and younger millennials, they're not a subscription-based generation. They Look are at not. Gaming. They Look are at gaming. not. Look at Fortnite. Look at Roblox. This is a digital goods economy, right? And so, yes, it is. But social uh, uh, media C is a social currency, right? And so, uh, so they value live. They value being first. They just don't want to subscribe to it yet, right? But I do think that subscription uh, micropayments over time should justify the economics of a subscription. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, that's right. right? But but let, let let me ask you both. Yeah. Um, the obvious question here, and I'm sure everybody listening is, is wanting me to ask this, Europe isn't like that. Yep. So how are you going to conquer the world? Yeah. Um, so one is, I mean, US-based leagues, they want to grow internationally. So, you know, that is one play. But second is Europe, there's still a SVOD, you know, driven economy, right? And so we don't operate off of exclusivity, right? And yeah, I'm, I'm great with non-exclusive mobile rights. You know, and uh, the discussions that we've had with networks and distributors is look at us less as a distribution partnership and commercial partnership. Look at us as a marketing partnership. We're a lead yeah, gen yeah. tool for future subscribers over time. Because, I mean, this is a U.S. example, but say that you heard that Cristiano Ronaldo is about to hit a PK. The first idea that you have on your mind is, oh, let me subscribe to Peacock. No, that that does not go in your mind, like come through your mind, right? You're you're like, well, let me um, wait a few uh, minutes and it'll be a highlight or clip on Twitter or Instagram or any other social platforms. Even worse case scenario, you're going to steal it. You're going to pirate it, right? And there's a reason why piracy is a $28 billion global problem because essentially we have done a better job of keeping audience out than content in, right? Ah. And and we can draw parallels with the music industry with what happened 20 years ago. But what I'm trying to say here is if we can ease and lower the barrier of access, if we can make these moments affordable where people don't think twice about it, saying, oh, Cristiano Ronaldo is about to hit a PK, great. 99 cents, Apple Pay, Face ID, I'm in, great, right? You do that five times, you just justify the economics of a Peacock subscription. Right. And so that's probably my message for all the distributors in Europe is that how do we grow an audience that is not already subscribed? How do we target an audience that is not traditionally on television? And how do we create additional revenue uh, models that that keeps the, the, the subscription or the linear TV you know, model in play while going after the future, which is younger fans? Oh, okay, well, one, one, one more on this line, then I'll pass over to my colleagues. So it's clear to me then that, that uh, when you've got rights holders that have got their own OTT and everything like that, you will look to do partnerships with them. I, I know you love the word partnership and rightly so. Um, where, um, like in Europe, um, the rights holders have pretty much sold all their rights exclusively to what you call distributors, broadcasters, you will look to do the deal with the broadcaster and the pitch will be, this is a win-win. These are people that are never going to subscribe to you. Let's tease them in. Uh, we're a little bit of a subscription monkey, everything like that. That's, I guess, what the, the, the plan is, uh, territory by territory. Yes. And, and then on the flip side is, in two weeks, we're shipping the authentication product. For, uh, and, and our first partner you know, with the NBA, NBA League Pass, where you can authenticate NBA League Pass subscription on Buzzer. And if the live look-in falls within those subscription rights, it's free. If not, then you pay the micropayment, right? And so again, yep. that is to guarantee incrementality. But also, you can make an argument around customer retention, right? What is the number one reason why people say they cut the cord? It's because they don't watch television anymore. You know, it's you know, it's a behavior where you say, "Hey, I don't have time to watch, uh, you know, TV for four day or uh, four hours," right? And so. If, what if we were able to translate the cable subscription to your phone that is curated to you and making these moments discoverable and you're realizing every time you consume content, it's free thanks to your cable subscription, right? And so I think there's a, a very smart way for us to add value to your existing cable subscribers because 
we're curating it and making these moments discoverable. I completely agree. Uh, I'm intrigued. I've just listened. It's been a, a, a masterclass in terms of the vision that you have and, and what you're already doing. And I know there's some of the partnerships you've already made for for the the vision uh, and the the dream to really come to life. Do you need to be the aggregator that wins? Do you need to? Does Buzzer need to be the ubiquitous brand that every kid in the world, every Gen Z and 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 beyond will go to, or can you cope with competition? I does this need to be the one place one goes to for what is a a brilliant idea, and you've articulated it beautifully. Yeah, uh, that's a great question, Giles. I, I think the the biggest value exchange that we have for rights holders and even distributors is first party data on what content they consume and how they consume it and how long. And the reason why is because that will also inform other aspects of their business, right? So take the NBA, for example. If we're able to identify every single LaMelo Ball and Steph Curry fan, that will also inform your marketing around merchandising, ticketing, and other aspects of your business, right? And so if we, data will soon be the life, I mean, we all know this, is the lifeblood of companies, right? And so if we can be that valuable source of data of who their customer is, what they like to watch, what players they like, right? I think we essentially build a pretty compelling moat, right? And I, you know, when, when investors look at us, they're like, what is the biggest barrier to business? And I chuckle, I'm like, the biggest barrier to business is rights, content rights licensing. And it's really hard. And it's, it's a very long discussion. But also the biggest moat to this business is content rights licensing, right? These entities, leagues, and, and broadcasters are not going to give this to everyone, right? And so that's why I, I think humility and partnership mindset is very important because they only are going to work with folks that they trust, right? And that are telling them that, hey, I want to retain your existing business and I want to build with you a, a future-proof business by really engaging with an audience that your current medium is not engaging. And I think that is kind of the biggest, um, and, and we'll give you data to prove it, right? To, mm -hmm. you know, to inform other aspects of your business, right? And so, um, you know, again, we want to be a partner that our leagues and, and broadcasters are happy that we're doing well, because if we're doing yeah. well, they're going to do well as well. But let me broaden this out a little bit and, and bring you into a conversation that's been raging between the three of us for, for quite some time now. And that's that's sport in general and the and the future of sport. You know, when you talk about future proofing sport, because you know, what we're seeing is nothing short of a revolution in how sport is consumed. And and in fairness to Rog, he's been all over this for the longest time about how consumption is going to change, about how differently Gen Z views sport. And and you've again pointed beautifully to Roger's point about it being an individual game where they follow the player and not the team anymore. What do you think all that does to the future of sport per se? Because you know, my, not really an argument, but my, my concern has been for the longest time that what we are creating is, as you were saying, Roger said, a, a cult of individual where it's about the individual and not the team. And you are creating content that appeals to a very short attention span within a game that by its design is, is is much much longer than that and by catering to the audience with the shortest attention span and we've seen many sports cricket's the one that springs to mind immediately change the rules to create shorter games you know under the umbrella of, of the organizing bodies is there a danger that sport goes down the road of catering to an attention and time poor audience just in time for that audience to move on to video games or augmented reality or whatever it may be. And you kind of, you've, you've, you've dabbled with the soul of sport, which has been such a pure thing for multiple generations. Yeah, um, I think about that all the time. And the simple answer to that is what's the alternative? You know, yeah, where, where well are said. we going? <laughs> you know, it's, do you yeah. want to engage with them or not? <laughs> you know, and it's pretty binary, but assuming that you want to, right? And, and to uh, answer your point about uh, attention starved or, you know, a short attention span, I don't think Gen Z has a short attention span. They just have way too much content in front of them that, that you have to cut through the noise. It's just so crowded right now, right? Um, Gen Z, they're still binge watching Squid Games you know, on, on Netflix, you yeah. know, and, and drive to survive on, uh, you know, the formula one, uh, docu series, you know, yeah. it's just that 
you have to adapt it in a way that they consume other pieces of content. And the way I see it with Gen Z, specifically with live sport, is I much rather have shorter sessions, but higher frequency, right? And so if you're, for me, it's how do I show you 10 minutes a game, but how do I also ensure that you're watching 10 games, right? right. Instead of, you know, the alternative of just watching one game for three hours, right? And so I think it's a different way to look at engagement and Right now, the alternative is engaging with the younger generation on social platforms. And if I, if you ask rights holders, um, how much uh, data insight do they have them? Zero. Say not zero. I used to be on the other end where leagues would say, "Hey, can we give? Can you give us data on who our customers are?" We're like, "Nope. It goes against our, you know, terms of services." But also, we they we utilize that to uh, make smarter ad targeting, right, and make more informed decisions. And so. We're not an ad-supported business because we don't want to compete with all the networks out there. Um, we want to be a friend, not a foe. But secondly, is that you know uh, we have a very different point of view around data, and and I think that uh, that will you know hopefully disarm a lot of our partners because we're very transparent about that. I, I love what you talk about how the the production of sport needs to change for the consumption of Gen Z. When you think about it, the way that golf has been produced for the last 25 years has actually been that. You don't watch one game of golf going around at a tournament and you don't watch it all live. The mm -hmm. magic of the production actually is that you cut from hole to hole to tee box to fairway. Jobs, that's red zone. Very, very... That's red zone again, yeah. <laughs> essentially. But, but what you're yeah. saying is therefore... The way that we consume it is differently from just one camera going around following a golfer mm -hmm. went a long time ago. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great point. Paul, let me, um, you mentioned something and we, we didn't spend a lot of time on it, micropayments. Micropayments, I am tempted to ask you if we're doing going into micropayments, are you getting into crypto? Uh, which blockchain platform are you going to prefer? Uh, you'll be probably being pitched by all of these people to try and get that they'll be, do you know, do you know what I mean, Bo? Yeah. How are you playing all this opportunity? Yeah, you know, um, I, I think that micropayments is still a barrier, right? When you see a dollar value, right? And so I would like to, at a certain point, uh, move it over to, you know, digital uh, just tokens, and yeah. my, my vision here is not just sport, just everything that's paywalled. Why not? You know, how many times do you do you guys click on a New York Times article and you get a notification that says you reach your five article limit, nine 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 subscribe, and you're like, why are you putting a ten dollar paywall in front of a customer that is openly saying I want to engage with one piece of content, right? And so, um, you know, taking a step back, I've always looked at buzzer and the broad aspirations of buzzer of like an arcade. I grew up in an arcade where you, you know, change money into tokens and you play different games with, the, you know, with the same token. Right. And so, and then what you get, what do you get on return? You get tickets and then you redeem those tickets for far less value goods than like what you just spent on games, but you never think about it because it, it's so, all about the experience. Right. So, so what, what, what we're, what we're understanding here is that there will be a buzzer token that will be available to be used outside sport eventually. Hopefully, yeah. You know, why not? Because if we can understand what content you like and we can inform publishers and IP holders that there is an alternative way to retain your subscription revenue, but also go after incremental, but also this incremental audience is younger, who would say no to that, right? But to yep. your point around NFTs, and I, I've been thinking about this a, a ton, um, you know, all of us, and I'm, I'm willing to bet the three of you guys do this as well, is I collected so many ticket stubs. When I go to my parents' house, I have shoe boxes and shoe boxes full of ticket stops. Why? Because I wanted to remember I was there, right? And, and I call this the Ted Williams corollary, where, where if you ask someone where they were for Ted Williams' last game, half a million people say, well, they were right. there. Yeah. You know, for like a, a stadium <laughs> full of 6,000 people, right? Yep. And so for me, it's like, that's where I think blockchain and NFTs become fun. It's like, oh, you were there? Or you witnessed that live? Oh, show me the, you know, the badge that is you know, blockchain certified. Right, the saying I was there, I witnessed it live. Right, there is a social currency there. Right, and so, and and you know, there's I think there's a way for us to then connect that to the state in in stadium experience. I've pitched this to a few of uh, our um, you know team owner 
um, you know, investors and they're thrilled about it. You're like, wait, so you, you want to connect the live buzzer experience with an in stadium experience. No, no, you where can you're see it all. Right. You can see it all, man. Yeah. yeah you, you can see, you can see how people would be yeah. more motivated to that, you know? And so yeah. the first step is let's get our kids to watch more live content, more live games, because they've completely disengaged with that. We've made it so damn hard for them. And so I think the second bit is, hey, how do you experience the magic of live in person, right? And so there's obviously a connectivity there from a product standpoint. Listen, I, I think Buzzer is the best example of product market fit that there is in the whole industry just now. Just let me say that. Thank you, but Roger, because to... I liquidated my 401k. I have no retirement funds, I know, no, so I thank know, but, you but... for saying that. Yep. Well, well here, here's the devil's advocate question. Yep. And I just said that so you know that I'm not doing it because I don't believe the devil's advocate question is this. I come from the music business. Music business um, sold a product of three hits and seven fillers because selling an album at $20 was better than selling three singles. The, the sports industry for the last 30 years has uh, realized that pay in the bundle is better than isolated pay-per-view. Mm -hmm. um, we tried pay-per-view early and realized it wasn't as lucrative as just getting people to continue to pay. Is there not a chance that somebody comes to you and says, we've been down this route. If you just focus on offering them only the hits, then ultimately the numbers aren't as juicy. Yeah, but there's that same argument could be applied to the cable bundle. And, and yeah. we bundle and unbundle it every four or five years. So it's it's a, just a different format. It's like, I'm, I'm just, why why kind of not focus on that? You, that's, that's happening every four or five years. Like there's a reason why every single network has an SPOD because the affiliate business is not as strong as it used to be. Right. No. And so that's why it's being unbundled. Right. And so, you know, there's all, and then five years later, they'll bundle that again. You know, my favorite thing is when a, a buddy of mine would say, Hey, you know, I cut the cord, but I got YouTube TV. I'm like, that's cable. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> right. Right. I cut the cord. I'm like, it's a virtual MVPD. Right. And so yeah. I think there's just a, a ton of opportunities that we can uh, create that we can upsell people who have not really bought into the bundle. For example, Comcast, you know, uh, Spectrum, all these companies also have broadband only packages. So when I and, and they are actually multiples of the actual cable op, uh, customers. Right. So why not go to them and say, hey, Xfinity customers for broadband only upsell for another nine ninety nine of your broadband only package and we'll let you authenticate Xfinity on buzzer. Now you have the power of Xfinity, you know, on your phone, right? And I think that's a very compelling marketing message. Again, like for us, it's, it's, it's less about distribution and more about marketing. And we're, we can yeah. all agree that these fleeting and live moments are the most marketable moments in the game. So why mm -hmm. are we not, why are we putting that behind a paywall? You know, we should yeah. want the entire yeah. world to see it and experience it. Because that is the biggest, you know, the best marketed product that anyone can have. And over a course of time, that should convert that customer, right? Yes. You know, you know, but the other advantage you have, obviously, and I wonder how much thought you've given to this, is that sport is sport is sport. And when the Olympics mm -hmm. comes around, I'm spending 16 hours watching the archery. And when mm -hmm. the Winter Olympics comes around, I'm watching 25 hours watching the curling, which is the greatest sport I watch once every four years that there is. But there's, there's something about sport, right? It's that moment in any competitive contest where something exciting is going to happen. How much thought have you given to kind of broadening out to lacrosse, for example, which is a huge game in the States now, by way of one example, broadening out into non-mainstream sports that don't necessarily have professional leagues or, or mainstream professional leagues and going down that road to give access to people that love those games and, and draw in new audiences to exciting contests? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that one of the foremost mission of buzzer is leveling the playing field. And that means how do we level the playing field for under distributed sports, specifically women's sports, right? Yeah. Because we can all agree that women's sports in general do not have favorable day parts. And because they don't have favorable day parts, the audience numbers aren't as good. And when the artist numbers are not as good, the advertiser demand is not there. When the advertiser demand is not there, they're not moving off the day part. Right. And so how do we create and, and women's sports specifically is a very player first fandom, right? Like, yeah, if you ask any American what NWSL play a uh, team, Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan plays on, 
Not a lot of people are able to uh, to answer that, right? But that's another thing too. Why is U.S. women's national team a once every four year phenomenon? Maybe you know every two years, but because they play in the Olympics too, right? It's like we have to address this. Of you know, for example, why is Naomi Osaka? I'm wearing her uh, hoodie right now, but it's like why is Naomi Osaka a four time a year phenomenon? When if you're a Naomi Osaka fan, you want to see Naomi Osaka play yeah. in Aratakanu at the Indian Wells Open. Right. And so I think it goes along the fact of how do we make longer tail sports, but also uh, under distributed sports more accessible. And I think this is the ultimate, uh, you know, just as Twitter democratized access to information due to the smartphone, this is what's going to democratize access to women's sports and other under uh, distributed sports. And, you know, and yes, like I do love curling. I do love shorts. Uh, uh, short track speed skating because Koreans are very <laughs> dominant in that, right? Yes, they are. Yeah, and so <laughs> and the archery uh, too, actually. Yeah, you know, and and you know what, I um, it's a funny story. And side note, um, you know, Apollo Ono is an investor, and I was like, man, I, I was, you know, I, I grabbed the beer with him. I was like, you know, that my entire family does not like you, right? Is <laughs> right. Like, why? Yes. <laughs> I was like, because uh, they feel full, they that felt that. Uh, you stole a few medals from the Koreans. I was like, also, I was like, let me give you context, Apollo. When you beat another Korean, you're sending him to the military because otherwise, if they met if <laughs> right. they medal, they're exempt. I was like, you're That's sending right. them to the military for three years. Anyways, but uh, you know what I was trying to say <laughs> is that when you have premium sports, that will also create added distribution to the longer tail sports, right? And so there is an ordering in this, right? There is a method to this madness. And I think that, you know, other uh, underdistributed sports like volleyball, like, you know, um, women's hockey, right? Field hockey, curling, all that will benefit once we build a mass audience that's built around uh, some of the widely distributed, you know, premium properties. And I'm not saying that the, the, the long tail sports or the underdistributed sports are not valuable. There is an ordering so that we can also drive more uh, customization and curation so that we are targeting people that might be um, really interested in curling. You know, Bo, you, you, you talked there about method and the madness. I, I think this last hour, anybody listening to this realizes there is very, very little madness at play here. This is this is one of the most impressive apps that that I've seen. It's it's such a great idea, Thank and you. Um, yeah, it's been great getting to know the man behind it and getting to understand you a little better. And I, and I think this is going to be something that's going to, you, know, you are going to draw so many people to this idea. I'm, I'm converted. I think this is, this is such a fantastic Finally. idea and, and I wish Finally. you all the best. I wish you all the best for <laughs> I, that. I, I just ignore Roger. The, I, I didn't know you were the skeptic of the three. I know, I'm, the, I'm just the old man. I'm the old man. Don't, don't, don't let, don't let the gray hair fool you. I'm, I'm the old man of this and I, and I'm, I'm kind of the, the, the last bastion of the soul of sport, but, uh, yeah, I, I said you. Sorry, Grant. Before you wrap up, because you said that, I've got one other question. Because I think you're right, Grant. Um, but I wonder, I wonder how many people, you know, whether they're you know investors or whether they're commentators, ever use the phrase Trojan horse to you, Bo. Yeah. Because I think your partnerships are about you building the buzzer community that then you take over the world. Yeah, I, that's a. Uh a very valid comment. And my answer to that is why would we give first party data then? You know, that is essentially in other people's terms, why are you giving away the keys? Right. And, and so I, that's why I think that we are a partner every, in every sense of the word. Right. Um, I will all say on the other side, um, you know, we have three products, right? Micropayments, mobile notifications and authentication. Authentication is the least Gen Z product that we are building. Why? Because we want to show the broader industry that we are a partner. You know, yeah, yes, right. it, it would right. be a lot easier that we want to be ad supported, but we're not going to go ad supported. Why? Because we want to be a friend to all the networks and not have the networks feel like we're taking ad dollars away from that. Right. And so, um, but again, you know, th that concern is very valid. And so for me, it's like, you don't have to believe me, you know, at the very beginning, you know, let us show you. Right. And, um, you know, this is, you guys know this very well. This is an industry built on trust. Also, yes, this is. is, and this is 100%. Also, and also, this is a very small industry. And to put a close on this, you know, what my dad has always said is it's important to do well, but it's also just as important or even more important that others are happy that you're doing well.
And what is that? And what does that mean? You are a value add to others. Also, you are humble because if you have that humility, of course, people want to do, you know, uh, want people for you to do well. You know how, you know how much it means to me, like Boris Gardner, the CEO of uh, La Liga, you know, here in North America, I got a text message from some other folks from SBJ. I had to, you know, leave to attend this, be here. He was like, do you know that Boris used his airtime up on stage to talk about you? And I was like, man, why would he do that? Right. And, and wow. but that, that speaks volume into we're building the right way, you know, and we're going about this the right way. And that matters so much more than us just doing as many deals in a very short amount of time, because the how we do it is very important. And, and I think that you know, once we build more goodwill out in the marketplace, you know, and I think that our conversation has been amazing. And now I have three, three gentlemen that are influential in your own spheres and you guys want us to do well, hopefully. Right? Oh, absolutely. We do. Yeah, we it, do. it's been a wonderful conversation. It really has. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a great product and uh, you're a fantastic ambassador for it. And I wish you all the luck in the world. I don't think you're going to need it, but whatever luck you need, I wish it on you because I think it's a no, great idea. I, I need it as much as I can, you know, because as we all know, it takes a village to actually drive mm-hmm. you know, forward progress for everyone. And so um, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for the platform and, and the opportunity to share. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Paul. All right. Thanks, thanks everyone. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, that was... That was awesome, frankly. I thoroughly enjoyed every minute. What a, what a hugely, hugely impressive young man he is. Yeah, I think that was a masterclass for anybody who has been listening to this podcast and particularly to Roger talking about particularly Gen Z and a, a new consumption. But to see someone who's got the reins of, 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 of power um, with his product but is so respectful of both what sport is and what it needs to be, um, I feel very positive that that's not just a money-making play, but that is also someone who is a guardian and custodian of of sport that we all, after all, with this podcast and our many fans, that's what we we all love. Yeah. I thought he came across really well. Um, it's uplifting, isn't it? I mean, like... It is. The, the, that's exactly the, the right word, The, the message, um, also the stuff at the start, um, we all get, and I'm most guilty of this of the amongst, of, of, amongst us, we all get very cynical and... Um, it's just like a breath of fresh air. So yeah. um, congratulations to Bo and congratulations to Buzzer. Yep, wish them all the best. And uh, hopefully there's a few people out there listening to this now that are already trying to download the app on their phones and find out more about it. I, I think, as I said, yeah, look, the, the, the product's a great idea. It, it really is. And uh, I think this is, Roger, the one, the one place that you and I can come together on this because I just think it's a great idea, brilliantly executed. But, you know, more oh, for me... Thank the Lord. Thank no, but, the Lord. But, but, you know, for me... <laughs> A different guy doing it, it's a whole different kettle of fish. For me, the most impressive thing about Buzzer is Bohan. I think he's a he's a 100%. he's a remarkable young man, and I wish him all the best. Yeah. Well, gents, thanks for that. It was a huge enjoyable hour. Hopefully, one of my last few hours in quarantine, I should be getting released from my island cage at some point this evening. I hope. So all that remains is to thank you guys for joining us, to, to, to thank Bohan and uh, and the guys at Buzzer for, for giving us that hour of his time in what has been a very busy week for him. And to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter if you're not doing so already. You'll find us at Entertained R. That's the word A-R-E. You can find me on Twitter at T-T-M-Y-G-H. Uh, you can find me, uh, Giles Morgan, at GilesMorgan71. You can follow myself at RPM Como. As in the lake. As in the lake. Gentlemen, arrivederci. Bye-bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>